BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Chorology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Chorology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Chorology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, the podcast on belief and being. This is episode 58. There's so much work to do so that moms and dads do not, for some horrible, evil reason, feel like they have to choose between their faith and their child or obedience and their kid's sexuality. There is such a beautiful path here that we can all be walking. Jen Hatmaker is a sought-after speaker, a popular blogger, and the beloved author of 11 books and Bible studies, including the New York Times bestseller For the Love and her newest book, Of Mess and Moxie. She's the hostess of a tightly knit online community where she reaches millions of people every week, uh, in addition to speaking at retreats, conferences, and seminars all over the country. Jen and her husband, Brandon, pastor a church in Austin. Uh, they have a couple organizations and nonprofits. Uh, they have five kids. And they live in this big farmhouse in the middle of Texas uh, that they recently overhauled as stars of the HGTV series, Big Family Renovation. I'm so excited to have Jen on the podcast today. Uh, We spent a sweaty weekend together in the humidity of Hot Springs, North Carolina at Wild Goose Festival uh, this summer. Had so much fun and started some great conversations, which we continue in today's episode so y'all can hear them. Jen recently announced that she was fully inclusive of LGBTQ people, uh, which kind of cost her some of her her platform, some of her audience. Uh, she Her books were cut out of a lot of the major Christian bookstores because of that. Um, but she's doing really good and needed work in this area, fighting and advocating for uh, queer people, uh, and deeply grateful for her work uh, in those areas. She just recently went to her first ever Pride. Uh, We're talking about that in today's episode, as well as parenting uh, and a bunch of other topics. So excited. No announcements today. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Jen, hi, welcome. Hi, I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. Yeah, thank you so much. This is great. I'm just so excited. Same, same, same. Yeah. So to start, uh, this is a question I ask everyone. Uh, how do you identify? And then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? I um, 
I've been married to my husband, Brandon, for 25 years in December. So I think that qualifies me as super straight lady. <laughs> 25 years. Isn't that insane? That's it's amazing. so crazy. I keep looking at him like, how did this happen? Wow. Um, and we have five kids. And so uh, three of our kids are like bio. I had them out of my body and two of them are adopted. And so um, and in terms of how that has informed my faith, well, as you can well understand, that has put me in the center of the bullseye for cultural norms. Like I am, uh, most churches are oriented around people like me and families like mine and marriages like mine. Um, and so I have been centered in my faith experience, uh, ver- my virtually my entire life. I mean, I also sort of came from a normative type family too, who were also centered. And so, um, so for me, it's informed my faith in such a way that I have had to learn as an adult what it means to uncenter myself from um, from both like the church narrative and the faith narrative in general and scripture. And um, it has been a, really the work of my adult life um, to get out of my bullseye where I have comfortably resided for 44 years. Of course, it's easy to be there. It requires nothing of me. Everything caters to who I am and who I love and what our family looks like. And so, um, so now is the sort of unraveling of that in my um, adult life when I began to say, wow, just because the culture says that I am the stereotypical norm does not mean that I am. So um, it's actually been really good and challenging, stretching for my faith to confront that. You, you mentioned like learning to uncenter yourself and and uncentering yourself from scripture, um, which I feel like to my to my 10-year-old evangelical ears, I would be like, what? <laughs> right, totally. <laughs> but what was that process like for you? I mean, to kind of to take a step back and, and realize like, wait a second, this might not be about me as much as I think it is. Totally. Uh, I'm still doing that work. And I, I would love to see the American church do more of that work because um, the way I kind of was brought up in scripture um, very much, uh, it, it was as if the Bible was written for America. I mean, that's how I was taught it. Like, we are the nation here that God seems to always be talking about, or this is our oppressive experience that scripture always seems to be talking about. And we are, um, you know, under scrutiny and, and it's the poor Christians under, you know, all the, with all the trouble. And um, so there's that sort of communal aspect in which, you know, it, I've come to understand that we are more um, along the lines of empire (laughs) uh, than these oppressive communities that essentially wrote and experienced all the pages of the Bible. Um, And, and then even like, you know, of course, um, in a more micro way, um, we have just absolutely idolized what looks like maybe the 1950s nuclear family and, and then retroactively fit scripture to match that, you know? And so that's all I ever learned. I didn't learn any, but you know, just even a cursory examination of scripture will show you that there was every kind of weirdo family in scripture and it was 
wild and it was diverse and it had a lot of wives sometimes and it had my dead brother's wife as my new wife and it I mean it was family family did not have this sort of nuclear connotation until just a minute ago um and so you know, even that's going, oh, well, maybe there isn't this very prototypical um, looking family like I've always been taught and that we made the Bible support. Um, and so, yeah, like all that is, uh, as you mentioned, I appreciate you saying this, like about your 10-year-old mind, it's disorienting and it can really, it can be rattling. It really can. It, it rattles you to have to um, even begin to reimagine what you always thought to be true or considered to be true or were, um, you know, th- these are not things that are, these are not very welcome conversations to have in a lot of circles. It makes people feel scared and like we're kind of losing our grip on something that used to feel su- super certain and in under our control. Um, but yet here we are. And so I think this is really good work and I think it's happening right now. Um, uh, in large fashion and and to great good, honestly, like absolutely to great good. Yeah. So, so I know you and your husband, Brandon, um, have been kind of on a journey over the last, I don't know how many years, but, but eventually leading to be fully affirming and accepting right. of LGBTQ people. And, and I'd be curious, like, as we, as we talk about, like, uncentering ourselves from scripture, like, I know in my own life, like, figuring out that I was gay, I had to go through that process. Mm-hmm. But I'd be curious for, for you and for Brandon, like, what... What has that experience been like and what led you even into it um, yeah. to begin with? Yeah, great questions. Um, that started for us, like, to, to be truthful, years ago. You know, you can't be paying attention to the world and not be troubled um, by the intersection of evangelicalism and the LGBTQ community. I mean, if if you have a beating heart, something about that intersection um, is going to rub you one way or another, like something there is not going correctly. And so um, for me, it really just began by observation, which was um, paying attention um, to the stories that I began to hear from LGBTQ people and those that loved them. And the stories were so disastrously universal, like um, depression and self-harm and um, suicide and broken families, all these young adults kicked out, literally kicked out of their homes. I mean, I just, it it, it just floored me. I, I don't know where I'd been living, but I just didn't realize how much despair and suffering um, was being produced at that intersection. And so for me, so then we, we began sort of a deep dive because I told, you know, my husband and I looked at each other and said, we do not want to be wrong about this. Like if, if this is the level of suffering we are paying attention to, if this is happening, um, I want no part in this. And so, um, frankly, to be honest with you, we had never really done a, an examination of um, doctrine and theology here. We just never had it. In, in the worlds in which we grew up, this wasn't really on the table. 
Um, it wasn't really a conversation we were having. It wasn't up for discussion. It it was really just kind of receded entirely. And so um, that was really our introduction. And so we began to read everything we could get our hands on, just every sort of book, every sort of, on, on kind of every side of this uh, theology. We read affirming books. We read non-affirming books. We read, we put ourselves under the teaching of different kinds of thinkers and leaders um, sort of walking us through this. And, and of course, there's a lot of compelling, there's a lot of compelling theology out there. I mean, it's, this isn't invisible and it's not small. You know, it's, it's not this tiny, tiny portion of this discussion. It's, it's robust and it's really thorough. And we just hadn't ever taken the time to um, be exposed to it. But um, so not only were we incredibly um, moved and compelled by sort of the interpretive work, um, the con- the contextual research, the history, that that's all very plain um, to be discovered. But for me, I think probably what ultimately just tipped the scales for me um, to, to sort of change my position, um, which was really a default position, to be honest with you. It wasn't a position I ever held out of deep and abiding, you know, conviction. It was just sort of the one that I was handed and I just never took, I was too lazy or complacent or unaffected um, to ever care to do more work. But um, it was really just this idea like, you know, because there are some really godly and wonderful people on both sides of this who are smart and they are thinking people. They love God. They want to be obedient. They're faithful um, and coming to different conclusions. And so, you know, there's this moment, of course, in the, in the gospels where Jesus is like, okay, when you are not sure if something is good or bad, like when there's conflicting evidence, when good people disagree about the same thing, when um, when it's unclear through some sort of academia, look to the fruit, right? That is your, that's going to be your best clue. Look to the fruit because in general, a good tree is going to produce good fruit and a bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. It's just this very elementary grid that Jesus handed us um, sort of to discern good and evil. And so that was so powerful for me because I looked to the fruit of the non-affirming Christian tree and it was so universally bad, so universally bad. I mean, it was it was dripping with rotten fruit. It was so much sadness and loss and despair and loneliness and depression and harm and suicide. And, and of course that tree, people that love that tree will always hold up that one shiny apple, but look at this apple, you know, this apple is a good one and they are gay, but going to, you know, live in celibacy or they're going to strike Mary and look at the shiny apple. This is the good fruit. But a keen eye is going to look at the whole tree and say, that is the rarest of exceptions. Um, The tree is bad. And then I looked over for the first time. I'm sorry, this answer is so long, but I looked over for the very first time of my life to the the fruit of the affirming Christian tree. And it was so beautiful. It was just flourishing like where LGBTQ people are affirmed and welcomed, their leader, their gifts of leadership are included, their voices are at the table, their gifts are um, nurtured. I mean, it was just, you, you would have to be a liar 
to say that that was not a beautiful tree, um, that there was not beautiful, productive fruit coming out of it by and large. And so to me, that was sort of the evidence that um, all this really thoughtful and sound theology really had something to stick to. Um, And it's been such a joy for us to continue to sit under the shade of that tree and honestly just be so moved by what we have seen in that space. It's just, it's wonderful. Yeah. So you, you you had an experience recently that you posted on your Instagram about a couple of weeks about, about going to pride in Austin. Um, and 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 giving out hugs and yeah. with, with the the free mom hugs movement um and it sounds like it profoundly impacted you like i know i was sitting there like crying as i was reading yeah. your instagram post because it was so beautiful um it was tell me about that so first of all that was my first pride parade mm. um and it was, what was really that like <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really fun and in general the atmosphere is really joyful and it's really kind hearted it's really really generous in general um you know there's sort of a stereotypical idea of pride parade that is out there and maybe it's true in other cities i i, I i'm obviously not a good person to gauge the climate of all the pride parades in the world but <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they, they, it has this uh, idea around it that it's just so over the top. It's just so out there. And I, I just found it to be like, it just felt like um, goodness to me. It felt like people who loved each other and loved their families and their friends. And, you know, half the parade's just allies, you know, just walking in solidarity and um I just, I found it so kind. But as you mentioned, um, I made a new friend this year. Her name is Sarah Cunningham. And she um, has sort of spearheaded this idea called Free Mom Hugs. And which essentially she um, started when her son came out to her and she didn't know what else to do. So she made like a janky homemade button and went to the, that said Free Mom Hugs and just went to a pride parade by herself. So I applaud her like just I, I just love that story so much. Anyway, I met her this year and I thought, well, for crying out loud, that's the best thing I ever heard. And so we have this little rogue um, outlier church in Austin. And um, I just said, guys, don't you feel like this is the stuff we should, this is our, this is our lane, right? And so a band of us from our church, we did free mom hugs and free dad hugs and free grandma hugs. And um, Trey, our, one of our lead pastors, he had free pastor hugs. And so we had no other agenda than that. You know, that was it. Just, let's just go and let's just hug everybody who needs one. And, um, it was very profound. And of course, so much of it was just fun and joyful and lovely. But, you know, we did have, as you mentioned, um, you know, we watched people during the parade the whole time who would look over at our little group and read our signs and our shirts and just like sprint to us, just sprint. And, you know, they would tell us all things like, like, you know what, I haven't had a hug from a parent in five years, you know, and my mom, my mom doesn't love me anymore. And it was just crushing. I knew this, I knew this, but just to stand in front of somebody with like tears pouring down their face, just saying, I'll take any mom's hug today. I'll take any dad's hug. Um, It kind of, it broke my heart, honestly. And which tells me there's just still so much work to do. There's so much work to do so that moms and dads 
do not for some horrible evil reason feel like they have to choose between their faith and their child um, or obedience and their kid's sexuality. There is such a beautiful path here that we can all be walking. And so it really just strengthened my resolve to stay the course here. So, so with that experience, like when you, you are a parent, like, and I know there are a good number of parents who listen to this podcast who have queer kids. Um, yeah. And what would you say to parents who are on this journey or who are wanting to maybe step into this journey who are like, my kid's queer. I don't know how to affect the church. I don't know what to even start doing other than like loving my kid. Um, But as someone who's, you've kind of walked this road for a little while and what are some steps or what are some things that you would say parents could do to start affecting change in, in their communities? Well, I, I'm, I'm inclined to say that the first the first link in the chain is that your kid is your top priority. So like don't get the cart before the horse. Don't imagine that your first priority is to change your church or to change the policy or to become an advocate. Like your kid that's that's link number 1. And so I would let the whole chain flow from there. So first of all, no, really, no matter what your um, convictions are around this or what your theology is, just know that you, you will not do any better than loving your kid fiercely with the zero conditions here. There's, if that's all you can manage, that's, that's the most important thing. Um, but after that, like, um, first of all, I would love for parents to feel permission to begin to examine it. Like, if you think this is a very outlier position with only rogue, wild um, leaders who back it, or you will be amazed to discover how many very thoughtful, very intelligent, academic, researched um, theologians and sociologists um, have come to this uh, to a different conclusion on. Um, you know, human sexuality and, and what is honorable before God. And so there's a lot out there to learn. So be a learner for sure. Don't be afraid of that. Do not be afraid to learn. Uh, do not be afraid to um, take in new ideas or listen to new thinkers. Um, do not be afraid, afraid to bring this before God if you're a praying person um, and ask for like Holy Spirit leadership on this. And then um, I, I would also just, I wonder, I suspect that um, if the kid, if your kid is the first link in the chain, and you are consistently um, placing your child and or and or family, all of you, in a in a in an environment that is super harmful to the heart and soul and psyche of the LGBTQ community, I would reconsider it. I would reconsider how much harmful messaging your kid can internalize without it doing deep and permanent damage. Um, I would consider what it feels like to sit in terror in a spiritual environment, knowing that you are, if everybody knew, you would be unwelcomed, um, um, unincluded. And so that sort of mental terror on queer kids is monumental. And really hard to overcome. I mean, if you don't know any um, people that are that identify LGBTQ, that should be another step. 
start listening to their stories, start asking them how they felt when they were a kid sitting in an unaffirming church, they were 15, um, and, and how much work it takes uh, to undo that harm. And so um, if your kid's your first priority, let's, let's put him or her in an environment where they are cherished um, and their little tender souls are not um, destroyed and they are not placed in a spirit of a, or not placed in a place where they feel like they have to choose between their faith and their sexuality. I'm just sitting here nodding my head. And, and even as you're talking, like it's, it's, <laughs> it's just bringing to mind so much of my yeah. story, which means that I feel like you've, you've listened well. Um, Thank you. And I'm really grateful for that and f- for the advocacy work that you're doing um, because we need people like you. Um, yeah. And- yeah. I think this is going to be a group effort here. Mm-hmm. You know, we need really thoughtful voices like yours coming from inside the community and we need allies who are like 25 years straight married, like center of the bullseye um, grabbing hands. And, um, and I think that's going to build a bridge that a lot of people are going to walk over. And the truth is, and you probably see this too, but um, in in my community, at least, I would say the majority of folks are asking good questions and they're humble about it. And they are not rigid and dogmatic necessarily, but rather we really want to get this right. And we want to, we want to, we want to be faithful. And, and so I think there is, um, so much room to be made for for healthy dialogue here that is not fear-based and it's not shame-based, um, but rather um, it's generous in nature and we can kind of hold the tension together and say, well, let's just work through it or let's just walk through it or let's listen to one another and let's um, make sure that we're including a lot of stories and perspectives into the conversation. And And I think that is a really vibrant place. And I, I, I think that is where more people live than not. It's just that you know, as with anything, the extreme voices not only get the loudest microphone, but they have the most power and it's frustrating. And so they sort of control um, the narrative and it it leaves a lot of people afraid um, to to be sort of on the outside of power, um, which is fair. I mean, that's a fair, that's a real fear. And there's, there's, that's a very potential cost, um, positively, but I think, I think what we can do together is really beautiful and I'm, I'm here for it. I mean, I'm hearing kind of in your words, that idea of kind of like the evangelical machine, which is a term that I feel like is thrown around and we can throw things on evangelicalism, quote unquote, all the time. But I, I, I'm curious though, I mean, you mentioned like this, this idea and this thought that queer affirming theology is an outlier, which is something I grew up believing too, that there's, there's no one doing this work. And, and I think that speaks to maybe the insular nature of some of our faith communities and then the people who are the gatekeepers. And I wonder and, and suspect that some of the fear around exploring this theology is because of that gatekeeping. And you've had very head-on experiences (laughs) with these gatekeepers. And I'd I'd be curious if you can maybe speak to that fear a little bit. And then maybe some of the experience of what it was like to come against that machine that's, that's very much there. Yeah. Um, 
that was just the only Christian environment I had ever known. I didn't, um, I was, I was raised, you know, kind of very traditional Southern Baptist. Um, and then most of my adult life was in the more like evangelical, um, modern church space, if you will. Um, and so I didn't have any other, I had nothing else to measure it against. I had no other experiences. I didn't have a lot of friends in a mainline culture. I didn't, um, I wasn't connected to, to people in sort of different streams of interpretation. So, I mean, I'm, it was just so homogenous. Um, and so what happens there, at least this is, this was true for me, is that when that is literally your only experience and your only input, which was true for me, like even all of my teachers and my thought leaders, the authors that I read, everybody was inside that space. I had no diversity at all. And so to me, it felt like that was the whole world. I did. I, I would have, I, I assumed shared um, intent in every room. I assumed shared theology and ideologically ideology in every room. I, it, I, I really did, didn't even know what was outside of that. And so, um, so to me, the power of the pack inside that space was outsized to really what it actually is. Um, be, because that was the only world I knew, the idea of being kicked out of it or unwelcomed in it um, or rejected inside of it just felt like there is no other world. That's, that is the end of the world. It felt like that. That is the end of the world. I will, um, I remember a couple of years ago just thinking, I don't, I don't know what else there is. I, um, I don't know where to go. I don't know who will have me. I don't know where they are. <laughs> I, I don't know where to go. Um, I assumed my career was over, obviously. And I just, I, I felt completely orphaned um, spiritually and lonely. And then what is delightful to discover is that there is an enormous, I mean, enormous, not little, not outlier, not just rogue weirdos. There is an enormous community of people outside of that subculture who are beautifully faithful and they love Jesus and they honor and respect and love scripture. And they are building amazing families and they love the church even, or at least want to, or at least are going to try sometime. Um, and, and they are, they are doing this whole thing just differently. They're asking different questions and they are not as governed by fear. And there's this sense of really healthy dialogue out there and people, um, disagree on some really important things and still hang on to one another. It is a marvel. Like, I didn't know that that's how that worked. I thought that dissent meant um, that you're out. Uh, and so um, the good news is for people that are listening, thinking I am way too afraid um, because I don't want the end of my world, um, is that there's another world. <laughs> there really is. And I have found it to be Oh, I'm mean, so good for my soul, so good for my mind, um, so good for my heart. Like, on to be honest with you, I'm sitting here thinking right this minute as you and I are talking about this conversation that we're having, and I'm so free to have it, and I'm so delighted to have it, and I'm not afraid to have it. And if these were the sorts of questions that I was laying down in a recorded setting two years ago, you would have had to pull me out of the grave. I mean, and so I'm, I just feel free. 
I feel free now to um, love people really well and to my maximum capacity to lead well. I feel free to ask questions because guess what? Sometimes um, a lot of things unravel when you move into marginalized spaces of injustice. Um, maybe it starts with um, LGBTQ people, but very, very quickly, you're going to start seeing how it, it doubles down for people of color. And there's all these um, people groups that are not in the center of the I like I have been my entire life, who have such a different story and such a different narrative and what they bring to the fullness of scripture and of the Christian life is invaluable. Like if, if these are not the voices that we are listening to, if these are not also our leaders, our teachers, our writers, our pastors, I don't really even know what version of Christianity we are following. Like, it's so, so myopic, and it is so narrow, and it's so exclusive um, that I have a feeling the train has left the tracks. And so, um, so I want to keep doing that work. I keep asking myself, who am I not listening to? Um, and, and I ask myself, what do I constantly default to? That is a really hard question because I default constantly. I default to my own experience. Um, and so where can I, where can I broaden out my perspective and I keep finding new voices and new experiences that are so different from mine and it's made me a better believer. It's definitely made me a better leader. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping it's making me a better human. I mean, this process that you're describing, it, it sounds to me, so like there's, there's kind of that that popular argument that once once you go affirming, uh, you you go down this slippery slope, um, right? And and in a way, it sounds like you're kind of describing that, but it, the slope doesn't sound so slippery. And that's right. It sounds like you're you're even as you're talking, I'm hearing just the amount of breath, like it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. That sounds like freedom. Um, Maybe that's over the top. <laughs> no, it's not over the top. And I and I, I think that's it. I think you're onto something. Like I go back to the to the good fruit. The good fruit just doesn't lie. And so when I would have and I'm this is too general and I'm in some degrees not being fair to the people and the traditions and the spaces I've come out of because there are wonderful people over there and people over there that can hold tension and, and keep doors propped open and widen the table. So it's not all one way or all the other. That's, that would be catastrophically unfair. But, um, but I, if around marginalized folks or around really difficult conversations or points of interpretation, if the general fruit that I was experiencing was fear, which it was, shame, there's a lot of shame and guilt, you know, around exploring those things, um, loneliness, um, then the fruit of, of this sort of wilderness community, if you will, it has been freedom. And it has been liberation and it's been a lot of joy. And and then it's also been justice. And that's one of my key motivations. I'm just sort of a reformer. And so justice matters to me. And so when I see so much amazing justice happening and wrongs being righted, I, I can't argue with it. I just, the fruit feels so different to me. And so just I'm, I'm inclined to look at the fruit of the tree and say, well, what else are you guys talking about over here? 
<laughs> like something, something right is going on over here. So what else do you care about? And then all of a sudden you start finding all these other like sub threads and all these interesting people groups and all these interesting leaders and thinkers who are bringing a lot of important stuff to the table. And so I'm just following the fruit trail at this point. Like this seems to be continuously good and I continually find joy and love and hope in it. So I'm going to stay the course. It's the fruit trail. I mean, it's, it's a fruity trail when you get into these spaces. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's too easy. Yeah, it's too easy. <laughs> uh, so maybe to wrap up, I'd be, I'd be curious. So um, for the people who are listening, who, who's, like, uh, I mean, obviously, mostly queer people listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, for those queer people who are who find themselves in those spaces of where they don't have a mom that they can talk to, um, yeah. who are looking to you, like Jen Hatmaker, as someone who um, maybe from a distance can fill that role or, or looking up to you with that kind of like, there's someone out there. Um, who who is fighting for me um what would you say to those people who are still kind of in the midst of pain um and and looking for that hope and that affirmation and that quote-unquote parental care like oh man that's a heavy space to, to live in yeah and um a really hard question but i would i would what i hope that they would um, know and see is that um, whatever rejection they may have suffered in their own family, um, first of all, that might not be the end of the story. Um, I've, it's been such a joy to walk alongside so many people that are, are LGBTQ, and and I can't count how many times I have heard, my mom and dad were terrible about this for five years. And then they came around or they at least said, this is not worth being separated over. Um, uh, Some of them changed their mind entirely and they're affirming. But um, I do want to say that I've heard that story enough times um, that I hold it up not as an inevitable possibility because I know better than that. That's that would be cruel to suggest that this is definitely going to be your future. But I've heard it enough that I would say it's a possibility um, that with enough time and patience, um, if you have the the courage and the strength maybe to keep the door just propped open with your own grace, with your own maturity, with your own um, sense of hope for what could be, you may be able to hold the line long enough for your parents to come around. Um, I'm just saying it's not inevitable that you will never have the love of a parent again. You will never have your, their arms around you again. Um, and so unfortunately, and I wonder what you would say to this, but it seems like the burden is placed on the queer community to do this. It seems like it's disproportionately placed on if you can just be patient longer, if you can just be the bigger person, if you can just simply um, be the the one who is holding out kindness and hope. And, and that sucks. That is unfair. But I think that's the deal. I think that is what's happening. And to my great astonishment, I see LGBTQ people doing it all the time. I can't believe it. 
I cannot believe the grace that they extend to their unaffirming families. I cannot believe the grace they have extended to the church. I mean, I'm just, I'm shocked by it on the daily. Um, and so while I am sorry that that is so, that so disproportionately falls on, on your shoulders, I've also seen it work. <laughs> I have, I've seen it, I've seen it work. I've seen it hold the window open long enough um, to create just enough room for reconciliation. Um, and it just might be worth it. It's not inevitable, but it might, it's possible. And then secondly, I would just say um, it, it is no substitute. I would never suggest that it is. I wouldn't even begin to imagine that it carries the weight and the power, but there are other adults in the world who would love to love you. Um, There are other pastors who would love to love you. There are other leaders and authors and speakers and mamas and neighbors and teachers who would love to love you, um, who would open their arms, who would open their tables, who would open their homes. And it would never be the same thing as a parent, um, but it could stand in the gap. It could just help remind you that you are absolutely beloved and cherished, um, that there is nothing wrong with you, that you are welcomed and adored, that your gifts are seen and valued, and there is a place for you. There's a place for you inside of a family. There's a place for you inside of a faith community. There's a place for you in a neighborhood. And so um, it, it would be worth the effort to put yourself in those safe spaces with people who would love you well, um, who could at least stand in the gap until, God, I hope one day your parent is able to come to you and say, I was wrong, and I'm so sorry, and I hope you forgive me. Jen, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Same for me. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And I just send all of my love to your listeners and to you. You're such a good leader in this space. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. You can find Jen across the internet at Jen Hatmaker, uh, jenhatmaker.com. Be sure to pick up a copy of her new book of Mess and Moxie. Uh, And she's also on tour this fall with Nicole Nordeman on the Moxie Matters tour. Uh, So check to see if she's in your area and go see her. Say hi. Uh, Chorology is on Twitter and Instagram at ChorologyPod. Or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Chorology is produced with support from Natalie England, Tim Schrader, Christian Hayes, and over 80 other Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help support Chorology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com slash support. A really easy way to help support Chorology is by leaving a rating and a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next week, y'all, bye.